1: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to
2: make you happy. Trying to make it out? because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13.
1: Welcome to the Wolverine Confidential Podcast. I am Andrew Kant. I'm Ryan Zook. I'm Aaron McMahon. Today, we'll be discussing the Dr. Robert Anderson scandal and its connection to Michigan football, as well as a new addition to the football team and some recruiting news as well. Coming up on Wolverine Confidential. All right, guys, good to talk to you. We usually, you know, keep it pretty light on this podcast, but, you know, this occasionally you got some more uh, sensitive, serious topics to discuss. And, you know, today is one of those days um, as we kind of dive a little deeper into the Dr. Robert Anderson scandal that's happening here at, the, you know, the University of Michigan and within the athletic department specifically, Aaron, you have now covered in person, uh, a couple of events, one last week and one just today, uh, earlier here on Wednesday, I guess, has there been a prevailing theme or what have you learned? What, what is, what has it been like kind of hearing some of this, you know, testimony from some victims?
2: Yeah, things have really kind of picked up here the last, I don't know, couple of weeks. Really, ever since Jim Harbaugh spoke out a few weeks ago at the Ferris State camp. I think we discussed it last week a little bit, at least. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Harbaugh's comments kind of drove some people out here. We've heard now from several former U of M football players on the record publicly. Last week, we had two former players, Daniel Kwiatkowski and Gilvani Johnson, players who were on the Michigan football team in the 70s and 80s. In fact, Gavani was a teammate of Jim Harbaugh's during his time there. Both come out and say that they were they were sexually abused by Dr. Robert Anderson. They both said that they told they went to their head coach Bo Schembechler at the time about it, and Bo did didn't do much about it. That seems to have been the theme now from from you know at least a, a handful of players during Bo's time. You know, Bo obviously his time coincided with uh, the period Dr. Anderson was, was at Michigan among others. So that seems to be the theme at this point we, we've heard now, you know, there, there's been hundreds of, of, of alleged victims who have said they were sexually abused by Anderson. And now that you're starting to see it kind of cross into the athletic side, you know, we've heard Bo's name come up before. I remember it coming up, I think last summer at one point um, now that it's here, uh, Michigan has itself, you know, it's a like department specifically, has found itself in a big mess, uh, not to say that it wasn't begin before, but now they've got you know they've got infighting, they've got kind of different factions of folks, people coming out to defend Bo Beckler. In fact, Bo Beckler's family came out and defended him Tuesday night. and it's kind of all spilling over. Today, Wednesday, as we record this, there was another press conference, in fact, outside the big house this time. Uh, where dozens of, of former athletes, uh, students, former Michigan football player John Vaughn was there. And, he you know, he's, he's gone on the record publicly before, so this isn't the first time for him. But, you know, they, they want transparency. They they have called on the University of Michigan Board of Regents who have a regularly scheduled meeting Thursday afternoon to basically waive attorney-client privilege, open up the documents, and let the Michigan Attorney General, uh, Dana Nessel, come in and investigate. So that's kind of where we stand at this point. Uh, in talking to Vaughn, it sounds like more. they expect more folks. In fact, Vaughn said this several times, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And he expects uh, more folks, whether it's athletes, students, to kind of come out and tell their story.
0: Yeah, just to jump in here real quick. I mean, Aaron detailed that pretty nicely, but it's it's kind of surprising to me that the story hasn't been more national at this point. I know it's it's a little bit different circumstances than previous related cases, like with the Jerry Sandusky and the Larry Nasser trials. But I mean, it, this is it seems like it's it's a big deal right now, and it's kind of surprising. I haven't seen much national coverage yet, but maybe that's that's still coming down the pike.
2: To me, the one big difference between both of these, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but Dr. Anderson, we've, we've talked about a lot in this podcast, is no longer alive. Bo Schoenbechler is no longer alive. So there's really, other than the University of Michigan as a whole, the university, there's no one to really take responsibility for this. You know, in the case of you know, the Penn State case or the Michigan State case, you know, Larry Nassar is still alive. Um, at the time, Joe Paterno was still alive. So there's someone, you know, necessarily to take the fall for it. Now there's no one to do it. So the University of Michigan is taking the brunt of the, the abuse at this point publicly from a public relations standpoint, and maybe it should. But I think that's a two, I guess, to me, the big biggest difference. I think you're starting to see more national coverage. You know, ESPN, I've seen it played a little bit more. It's starting to get in, you know the main headlines. But you're right. From a, I guess, public outcry standpoint, it's probably not as big. Perhaps it gets there. You know, this is time only tell. I think this is only going to drag on now for for a while until Michigan can finally come to some type of agreement, mediation with some of the, with the victims. But until that, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to follow. I think.
1: Yeah, Aaron, I think that's a great point. I mean, in those other scandals, the the person or people responsible could be held accountable. They could then face criminal charges and you know you could you could have some justice in that sense. Here it is a little different. Don Can another name you could you could add there that is, you know, that is deceased. But we, you know, did get some clarity, I guess, today as far as what what the mission is, what the purpose is, you know, as far as how at least this particular group seeks seeks justice. And that is in the form of yeah. An investigation by by the state, you know, which it would be on top of what you know we already have, which is the, the Wilmer Hale report. And, I, you know, I do encourage people that, uh, you know, not, not to just get their information, you know, from from us on this, because we're not really going to be, you know, opining on, on this issue, you know, at length. You know, the report is out there and, and you may have heard we've we've mentioned probably at some point it's a 240 page report but it's it's really only seventy pages. Uh, you know the, the rest of that is is essentially resumes of the you know consultants who you know helped with the you know fact finding and and context and things like that. So uh, seventy pages, you know, there there's bullet points, these things that you uh, a lot of these accusations and stories that that are coming out and being reported on recently. I mean, it, it, it's even worse. I mean, some of the the other things that that Dr. Anderson did during this time. So there, there's just more in there even than what what's being you know brought about publicly right now. I, you know, I guess the one thing I'll add, and I said this to you know Aaron and Ryan the other day, but I, you know I haven't said on the podcast. Like as far as the old school mentality of you know coaches and the the era uh, you know that Bo Schembechler was in compared to now, I, I sort of understand it for things like concussions or, or playing through injuries, uh, or, you know, uh, two-a-day practices with limited water. Like, I'm not saying I agree with those things, but you just understand it, that you you could kind of say that was the era. You know, for something like this, these accusations, these complaints that were brought to Bo Schembeckler, Don Canem, and others, reportedly, are a little harder to kind of justify why they they would have been, you know, brushed under the rug or someone just not wanting to hear that or whatever. It just seems those, those seems seem like very different things to me. And it's what makes this so, so sort of such a, such a sad story, really.
2: It is. Yeah. And I, as I said, I don't think this thing's going to go away anytime soon. It sounds like more and more victims are just going to come out. Um, we've heard from a handful now who, who I guess had spoken privately beforehand, maybe off the record, anonymously. Now you're starting to see um, voices put their names to some of these words. You know, in fact, last week when we heard from Giovanni Johnson, the former, the former receiver on the Michigan football team from 1982 to 1986, he, he in fact said Jim Harbaugh's comments defending Bo was one of the reasons why he decided to come out publicly. Um, and I think the more you see, maybe pushback from some of this, from whether it's you know, Shembaikler's family or folks who are defending Bo or the institution, or the case may be, you're gonna see more and more victims, I think, feel empowered to come out and put their names on things.
1: You know, on television shows, they typically uh, go to commercial after a topic like this before they move on to something else. We don't have that that luxury here on the podcast. So so be it. We're going to just we're just going to move on to, uh, you know, our next topic, which, you know, is is the football team in the present day. We've got some recruiting news to get to, but they also, you know, added a added a player who's going to be, you know, ready to go right away. And that is that is a grad transfer wide receiver. I think, Aaron, you could start kind of telling us a little more about him.
2: Yeah, this kind of came up pretty quickly here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, his name is Dalen Baldwin. Uh, he will He's a graduate transfer, as you mentioned. He'll be eligible to play right away. Two years of eligibility. He comes to Michigan from Jackson State, and it's in the Southwestern Athletic Conference, the SWAC. Folks may have heard of Jackson State recently because Deion Johnson's head coach there. Um, Deion so,
1: Sanders. Deion Sanders. Or, yeah. Sorry, what I said, Deion Jackson.
2: <laughs> Deion Sanders, yes. Um <laughs> Anyway, he Dalen is six foot three, two hundred and ten pounds. Uh, so he's got the build right away. He's got the size. I've watched some highlights. He's got the speed, and I, I'm I'm kind of baffled as to why he's he landed at Jackson State. You know, and his stats are pretty good too. It was past spring, twenty seven catches. Five hundred forty yards, seven touchdowns, and that's just in six games.
1: And that was just this spring, right? I mean, they Correct. had that they they were one of the few that truly did delay their season, and you know, which was talked about, you know, here in the Big Ten initially. They actually did it, and 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 played somewhat recently. He'll be uh, got he's got some recent reps under under his belt.
2: He does, yeah, as of this spring. And they, uh, Jackson State was supposed to play seven games. They had one game canceled, um, but he played in all six. Uh, he came to Jackson State after spending a couple of seasons at Morgan State, but Baldwin's no no stranger to Michigan. Uh, he's from the state. He's a Southfield native, started his prep career at Farmington High School, transferred to Waterford High School. As a senior, he caught 20 passes for 401 yards and six touchdowns, so he, he didn't have exactly crazy numbers, um, but he showed that he's he could play both sides of the ball. He was a cornerback as well. So I, I think he should probably fit in pretty quickly at Michigan, whether he gets a ton of targets, whether it gets a ton of action remains to be seen. Um, but I have to think at this point, Michigan has to be happy from what they got. I mean, keep in mind, Dick Baldwin is going to replace Childs Jackson, who transferred out this past this past offseason. He's now at Washington. Um, So they had a scholarship to use. Um, they only had seven scholarship receivers on the roster coming into this fall. I think added bodies will help. Uh, and he certainly could. Uh, we'll see how he fits in. Probably have to, you know, work him into the offense. He's going to get familiar. I have to get familiar with the offense and the playbook, obviously. From a scheme, from a build standpoint, he's got decent hands. I think he's going to fit in pretty well. He's got, as I mentioned, two years eligibility. So even if he doesn't do much this year, they'll have him again next year. But I I think um, this, this bodes well for the receivers room, I think.
0: The big takeaway for me is that I mean Ohio State was going after him pretty hard too. So if a, a program like the Buckeyes, who have just landed four and five star receiver after four four and five star receiver under Brian Hartline, uh, that that says a lot about the, potentially the type of player he is. So yeah, I mean there there is a need at, at receiver and and uh, I think he he should fit in well and and potentially make an impact next year.
2: That's what baffled me the most. I don't know if he just flew under the radar as a as a high school player and just didn't get much of attention. But the fact that he went from Morgan State, Jackson State, to Michigan and getting an offer from Ohio State, getting looks from Ohio State, when obviously one of the top programs in the country, t- t- signals to me that either a he was under recruited in high school or b he just progressed very well in college. So it's I'm, I'm curious to see where where this goes. Um, but the fact that he's got two years left, he just turned into a productive spring at Jackson State. Um, I think that that bodes well, for, bodes well for his future.
1: And if he's, you know, he had his uh, choice of suitors. I mean, the fact that he, you know, wherever he landed, you figure was a place that he thought, you know, he could he could contribute and, and probably sooner rather than later. All right, so we've got some, you know, recruiting news to talk about, and maybe, maybe the biggest piece of news is that there's not a big piece of news. Is that kind of a good way to put it, Ryan?
0: Yeah, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good,
1: yeah, pretty accurate statement there. I mean, yeah, we've talked a lot about
0: how crazy this month will be for recruiting, and I um, mean, it has been in the sense that they've had a lot of prospects visit, they've been out to a lot of camps, but it hasn't resulted in any commitments. And their mission's in a little bit of a drought here. Their last commitment was Tyler Morris on April 20th. So they've been stuck at seven commits here for a while. And you would think that things would need to pick up here, or there might be a little bit of cause for concern. I mean, the class currently ranks 22nd nationally, number four in the big 10. I mean, you have Ohio state already with 13 commits, even like Rutgers already has 13 commits in this class. So you have to understand a little bit like that, there was a lot of turnover this offseason. These new coaches are building these relationships. Um, but also, I mean, Michigan typically does well when they're able to get guys on campus. And they have gotten a few guys on campus so far, but it hasn't resulted in, in anything substantial yet. This coming weekend will be the big weekend. It's kind of being dubbed as Victor's Weekend. About 15 prospects in the 2022 class will be there, not even including some under some other underclassmen. Uh, I mean, you have two minutes already in the class, like Will Johnson, the five-star cornerback from Gross Point, a four-star defensive back Cody Jones, three-star tight end Martin Klein, along with top targets such as five-star defensive tackle Walter Nolan, four-star offensive tackle Lucas Heyer, and four-star defensive lineman Justice Finkley, all guys at the top of Michigan's board. And they have to, they have to hit a home run here. They have to. Continue to fortify those relationships and and show off their this new shiny recruiting department, and and have them have that working in their favor. Otherwise, um, this this could be kind of a dud class. So we'll 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 see what happens.
2: I'm really curious to see how this ends because you know that's the last time Jim Harbaugh made it kind of a, a big change with was coaching staff the recruiting the following recruited class it wasn't very good it was I think it was top 20 or whatever top 25 or whatever it might have been even higher than that so it wouldn't surprise me if they can't close on some of these guys but you know, given the fact that Michigan's coming off the season that they did, and we've talked about this, like the depth chart is is is, is weak at this point at several positions. The roster isn't what it used to be. They've got to get some momentum going. And if they don't, and that's the thing with the recruiting. We've talked about this before, and it always is true. I mean, you got to build and build and build, and they just haven't been able to do that. So I think this is kind of the start's. You know, if they have a dud class, I'm willing to give them a break. But beyond that, I mean, they got to get some momentum going. It's as simple as that. I think they do. And I've said this in the couple, last couple of weeks. I think they will. That they have too many good assistant coaches who have a track record that they have shown they can get guys in. They just might be in a time crunch at this point, given the fact that Jim kind of made these cha- at least some of these changes, you know, in the spring. I mean, you keep in mind, we just, Michigan just added Steve Klink scale like, what, a month ago, six weeks ago? So it's going to take some time to get his feet underneath them. I know he's recruited the area and everything else, but it, it certainly changes when you go to different schools. So we'll see. I don't know. I, I Like part of me thinks they're going to pull off some of these big kids and they, they probably will. They may, but it wouldn't surprise me if they struggle here the next couple of months. It may take, you know, going into the fall where they finally start finding their their, their footing here. Yeah,
0: and they've missed out on a few of their top targets too. I mean, yeah, transfer defensive tackle tar- target Jay Toya decided to stay on the West Coast, went to UCLA. Uh, Caleb Brown, uh, a Chicago Land wide receiver, ended up choosing the, the Buckeyes. He was the top Michigan target. So yeah, I mean if. I would understand if, if they're just not landing some of these guys, but they're, they're remaining uncommitted, but when they start choosing other schools, that's when you kind of need a a little bit of a, have a little bit of concern. And, and it's not to say that Michigan won't lose any more guys in this class too. I mean, remember, they've already lost four or five commits in this class. Most of them were, were most likely because of coaching changes, but I mean, you have like Will Johnson, he went, just went on a official visit to USC, I'm not too worried about it yet, but the fact that he went all the way out to California to take an official visit is a little bit alarming. Um, I mean, Cody Jones, he didn't have much of a previous relationship with Steve Klinkscale, so he needs to continue to build that relationship to to stay in this class. So if the calendar hits August and they're still in a little bit of a slump, that's when you really need to concern because that's when these kids start to focus on their high school season's um, and kind of put recruiting on the back burner. So these official visits will end at the end of June, and if if they don't start getting some commitments in July, when things start to slow down in the summer, yeah, it, it could be uh, could be a cause for concern.
2: You you start to wonder again. We're really early in the ball here in the process, but I mean, there's several new assistant coach on the, coaches on the defensive side of the ball who either haven't recruited at the college level ever, like Mike McDonald, Ron Bellamy. You've got a new assistant coach in Steve Klingscale who's used to recruiting to a school like Kentucky who goes for three and maybe a four, an occasional five-star if they're lucky, to Michigan who likes to attract four and five stars. So you're, in a way, you're kind of a, uh, recruiting a different type of athlete. You got a lot of guys that are kind of doing, you know, recruiting for the first time, you know, or in different, different levels. So it may take them some time. I, I, and like I said, I wouldn't give them a pass, but at some point, You know, Michigan's got to develop some momentum here, and I think you're at least from my perspective. I'm more concerned on the defense side of the ball, just because they went through so many coaching changes. They got new new guys in there. You got Mike McDonald, who is coordinating the defense, who has basically never recruited at the college level in his life. It's certainly a different, I guess, different beast for everyone involved here.
0: And the 2021 class was definitely offensive side of the ball heavy as well. I mean, they landed some big time names on offense, but the defensive side of the ball was a little bit lacking outside of junior Colson and a couple of the, the defensive tackles they signed late in the, in the signing period. So, I mean, people forget that they were coming off a two and four season and with all these coaching changes. So, yeah, I mean, they think, Oh, look at all these recruiting department additions. It, sh- they, it should make an immediate impact. That's not necessarily how it works. They need to show show something on the field too this fall to show that they're heading in the right direction. Otherwise kids might have to go elsewhere where it's the coaching staff might be a little bit more stable and and the playing time might be more stable and we'll see.
1: Yeah. I mean, relationships are huge, right. In recruiting and, and the position coach is maybe as important a person as, as anyone in that, you know, in a recruitment of a particular player. So if you're making a bunch of changes there uh, and, you know, suddenly a, a, you know, potential, you know, Player for you is you know was dealing with one person now they're now they're dealing with another one trying to you know close the deal, and meanwhile you know his his position coach at some other school it it's been the same the same person they're dealing with throughout that's it's not surprising then that that might have a you know adverse effect on actually you know landing these players. Well, that uh, that pretty much does it for this episode of Wolverine Confidential. When there is news on the recruiting front or, or anything else related to the Wolverines, we'll be on it on MLive.com slash Wolverines. So thanks for reading and thanks for listening.